You are listening to The 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day, we study God's Word, and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that God's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. I invite you to check us out at soh.church. Always recommend that you download the free mobile app that's there. There's an awesome online community, so you can be connected to like-minded people. You can ask biblical questions. All of our teachings are on there. If you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications. We don't want you to miss anything as we study out the Gospels five days a week. We aim for five days a week, and we hit that most of the time. We have kept this up, and we, I think, are somewhere in the vicinity of about 180 episodes now at this point. We started last year uh, right before uh, what would be known as the Lenten season, or the Lent season, uh, and uh, we worked our way to uh, to Resurrection Sunday, uh, and it was just uh, awesome. Uh, we, uh, we started to grow, and we just... I got emails saying, hey, let's keep this going, and we have, and we have. We've been through all of the Gospel of John, now we're getting through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're at a very pivotal point in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and that's Matthew chapter 24. And uh, I appreciate all the feedback on the studies so far. I'd love to hear from you, uh, whether whether you are receiving from the studies or not, or whether you have some, uh, some questions, uh, if you have some areas where you say, hey, Jay, I don't no, if if I totally agree with this, this is what I've learned. Look, I am always open to discussion, uh, for sure. Uh, I don't claim to know everything, uh, but uh, y- you know we've got to be able to dialogue in and around these things. And I know some of the things that I'm teaching may be somewhat contrary to what you hear in mainstream, uh, you know, Christian television and things like that. There's a lot of buzz around Matthew 24. There's a lot of uh, application of Matthew 24 based upon what we're seeing in our newspapers. Uh, but uh, if you've followed along so far, I think that uh, what we are doing is properly applying this very important prophecy uh, in Scripture, because Jesus is very clear on this. Now, how did we get here, right? End of Matthew 23, after Jesus is uh, really kind of encountering all the Pharisees and the religious leaders he, he really puts them in their place. He leaves the temple, and the uh, disciples point to the temple buildings. And Jesus tells them what? He goes, I'm going to tell you the truth. And we got to focus on that word, you. I tell you the truth, okay? No stone in, on that will be, no stone on those buildings will be left unturned. He was saying that the temple would eventually come down, right? And we know that this happened, right? Everybody knows that it, this happened. People that don't believe in Jesus— know that this happened. In 70 AD, it is a historical record that the Romans came down and destroyed that temple, just as Jesus said, right? So we have to acknowledge, which we have been for the last few days, that Jesus is talking to the disciples. So when he says you, he means them. And yes, the Bible is for us today, okay? I will say that, but we have to read it through the proper lens, okay? Jesus is saying you. He says, I want you to make sure that you are not deceived. Why? And he lays out a bunch of signs, 
okay? First, he says, right, that there was going to be false prophets. He says this multiple times in the first 13 verses. There's going to be false prophets that raise up, say that they are the Christ, and even if we look to the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that the time is near that it would happen. Near to when? Near to when Jesus is saying it. And we see in that first century, especially as the Israelites start clashing with Rome, people are starting to step up and say, no, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. Because what was the Messiah to them? The Messiah to them was an earthly king that was going to rule like King David, okay, and help them to get out of the jam they were in. What was the jam that they were in? They were being oppressed by Rome. And their whole rejection of Jesus, as we've studied so far, was because he wasn't the type of Messiah that they wanted. So what have we gone through the past couple of days, right? Jesus says, look for these signs of the end, right? Wars and rumors of wars. Check. We went through those. After, after about 100 years or so of absolute peace, Rome starts being at war again. And there starts to be skirmishes between the Israelites and the, and the Romans. Famine. We can see through writings that are even outside of the Bible that during that period of time, there was a deep famine that killed many, many people. Rise of false prophets. We've already talked about that. Widespread persecution. We talked about that yesterday. The early Christians faced heavy persecution from the Jewish believers uh, they they were stoned. They were brought into the synagogues. They were they were embarrassed, beaten, and killed. Okay, and they were ultimately persecuted very heavily by Rome. We talked about the parts where the Emperor Nero would would go ahead and throw the Christians, you know, to wild beasts. He would light them on fire in his uh, in his uh, gardens. Okay, so so persecution check. Now, I'm not saying that we don't get persecuted today, but the persecution that we kind of get up in arms about, is it's not, it's not this, okay? They were persecuted to the point of death. And could that happen ever again? It, it could. It could. And I pray to God that it does not. But if somebody gets persecuted, and we know this happens overseas, it doesn't happen in our country very, very often at all, but we know it happens— does it mean that it's a fulfillment of Jesus's biblical prophecy? Or is Jesus talking about a specific event? And I would, I would present to you that he was talking about the end of the age. And we have to define the end of the age. The end of the age is the end of the old covenant. The end of the age, the aeon, the, sp- the period of time where God's covenant with humanity was only through one bloodline. And we know the mystery of the gospel was that God loves everybody, that God's covenant through Jesus was with everybody, right? Neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor master, neither man nor woman. Nobody is, is greater in the eyes of Christ. God loves us all. So we go through all of this and we can point to real events that they, right, the you that Jesus was talking to, when he says you watch, he's telling them to watch. We, give, we get real situations. Now we get to a part in Scripture. We're only going to be in one Scripture today, Matthew 24, 14, where Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom being spread throughout the world. And I often, you know, get this as a response and said, well, you know, Jason, if all of this happened, 
Then what about Matthew 24, 14? Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Okay. All right. We can talk about this. The gospel of the kingdom needs to be preached to the whole world. So what I would position here, and we're going to look at the term world. That's what we're, where we're going to focus on today. What I would position here is if that is true, why is it that you and I are not on missions trips to the most remote parts of the world right now? Right? Why not? I would also ask the question, like, okay, if, if that's true of we, we need to preach the gospel, and, and look, wherever there is life, we need to preach the gospel. I'm not saying that's not the case. But are we, are we waiting on God? Is God waiting on us? This is starting to get a little bit confusing, okay? Unless Jesus didn't mean what we often interpret it that to mean, that Today, in 2024 and beyond, the gospel needs to be preached to all of the world to, what, usher in an event that we would call the end, the end of the age, okay? Let's take a look at this term world, okay? The term world in this scripture is the Greek word oikumene, and we will get to the breakdown of oikumene here in a second. But why do we go to the original Greek and Hebrew? It's because the earliest manuscripts are written in these languages, right? We know Jesus spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, Koine Greek of that time. The Old Testament is in Hebrew. When we go back to the original language, what we can do is we can see the proper application of the word. You can give examples of the word love. We just have one word for that. But in the Greek culture, in Koine Greek, there's several words for love, and they all mean different levels of love. You have eros, which is where we get erotic. It's a very emotional type of love. You have philia, which is a brotherly love. And then you have agape, which is the perfect love of God, right? We just use the term love. Uh, another great example is John chapter 15, where it says, any branch that is not me, he in me, he takes away. Any branch that is in me, excuse me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We see that word takes away and we say, oh no, if I'm not bearing fruit, is God going to take me away? No, that's an unfortunate translation. That word takes away is actually the Greek word iro, which means to elevate. And we learned this at Sound of Heaven just a couple weeks ago, right? What What does a vine dresser do? And a vine dresser looks on the ground for branches that fall down, picks it up, cleans it up, and elevates it to the top. So God in that scripture is trying to get to us is that, hey, if you're connected to Jesus, if you're connected to the vine and that and that and you're in the muck and the mire or the ground, that that the vine dresser is going to come and pick you up to a place where you can you can bear fruit. So we have that. I hope this is making sense. We so we have to look at the original language so that we could properly apply what the meaning is. Okay, this is a big part of this. Just as it's important to go ahead and see what is going on in the world historically to understand the scripture, it's also important at times to go to the original Greek and Hebrew 
so that we can get a sense of what God is trying to say. And uh, uh, a website that I like to use is the Blue Letter Bible because you can click, you can read any scripture and then you can click on the Strong's Concordance up top and it will break down literally every word so you could say, well, what did what does this word mean? And that's what we're going to do today, okay? So I just wanted to tee that up because, you know, I just don't want to read the Bible to you. I want to I want to share with you what it means to read the Bible effectively, okay? So let's read the scripture again, and then we're going to dive in. And this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, shall be preached into all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Well, let's look at what I already said. This world is not... It, the world is the Greek word oikumene. Let's talk about what it's not and other applications of world or planet because you will get a lot of Christendom looking at this scripture and saying, see, that we have to get through the whole planet, this big bowl of mud, this beautiful blue marble that we live on in the universe. We've got to get to every inch of that and then, you know, and God's waiting for us to do that, but we don't seem to be in a hurry to do it, which is really weird to me, Okay. But let's look at what it is not and how the term world or planet was used or land was used in other parts of Scripture. So remember, the, the term world in Matthew 24, 14 is the word oikumene. What it's not is the word gay. Gay is a word earth that used for earth, arable land, ground, mainland, earth as a whole, the entire globe, um, earth as opposed to heavens, earth as the abode of men and, and animals. So it's the entirety of creation when it's used in this term. Some areas where we see this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 15, 35, and I could have listed a lot of these, but I want to try to get us out of school on time today. In Matthew 15, 35, and he commanded the multitude to sit on the ground. So we see in other areas of Scripture that the term for earth or planet, something physical, is used in a, in a different way, okay? And the authors, Matthew chooses not to use these words. Why? Because Jesus is not talking about the entire physical planet. Okay? Let's, I could just see you right now saying, what? I think this is going to make more sense going forward. Let's also talk about what it is not that we see a lot in Scripture. It is not the Greek word often used for world or planet, cosmos. Cosmos is used the world, the universe, the circle of the earth, the earth, all in, the, the inhabitants of the earth, men and human family. Again, cosmos is used to show the entirety of creation. A couple places that we could point to on this, and again, we could point to many more. But Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by human hands, the God who made the entire globe, the entire universe. That's where cosmos is applied. John 3.16, popular one. <laughs> For God so loved the world, all of creation, everything in it, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
I hope you get what we're saying here. Neither of these words were the word that was used here. So what was used? The word oikumene. Oikumene means the inhabited or the known inhabited earth. It was used during that time to describe the portion of the earth inhabited by the Greeks. It was the word that they used to distinct their land from the land of what they called the barbarians. It was very specific part of the world. It was also used, check this out, which makes a whole lot of sense. It was used to describe the land of the Roman Empire and all the subjects of the empire. Okay? That is what oikumene means. The known inhabited earth, right now, the known inhabited earth to those people were those that were in the Roman Empire. It is a specific term that is used. Let's look at a couple of examples in scripture of of how it's used to not mean the entire planet. Acts chapter 17, 6, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, oikumene, have now come here. Acts 24, 5. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. Oikumene. Now, these men, right, which was, you know, Paul and the apostles and, and the early church, how is it that they were causing problems in, over the entire planet? They weren't. They were stirring up the populace all throughout the Roman Empire. How were they doing that? With the gospel of the kingdom. So we see that when Jesus says that the gospel of the kingdom must be preached to the whole world, and then the end will come, who's talking about the oikumene. It's talking about the known inhabited world. It's talking about the confines of the Roman Empire. And when you read it in succession, succession with what we have been studying here, I believe that this, is, that this has to make sense, right? If not, I mean, reach out to me if, if it doesn't. But then, then you ask, all right, well, did this happen then? Well, let's ask the Apostle Paul. Because I present to you that by 70 AD, Christianity had spread from its origins to what was called the Levant, which is the eastern Mediterranean region, across the Roman Empire and beyond. And in Romans 1.8, Paul writes this, I thank my God, Jesus Christ, for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Oikumene. Colossians 1.6. All over the world, oikumene, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Colossians 1.23 The gospel that you have heard has been, past tense, proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which, and of which I, 
Paul have become a servant. The Apostle Paul is talking about how his spreading of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, right? He says it has been past tense. This is written in the 60s of AD, just not even a decade before the fall of the temple, what we are pointing to as the end of the age. And Paul says the gospel has been preached to every creature. <laughs> has it been preached? To, were they over here in America at that time doing this? No, it had to be in the area. And you ask yourself why. Why did it only pertain to the Roman territory? It's because that's where all of this is taking place. Did you ever wonder why in Romans, Paul also writes that we must preach, they must preach first to the Jew and then to the Gentile? Many people try to take this and apply it as a priority of people. But again, we run into a problem. Does God have favorites? No, he doesn't. So how, how do we reconcile if, if you know, the, the Jewish population is more important than the non-Jewish population, how do we reconcile that in our daily time when we're supposed to be living in a covenant where all are equal in the eyes of Christ? Well, the reason for the urgency, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, can be answered fairly simply. And that's because the Jewish population had one generation, a small period of time, to hear the gospel and hear it and accept it and believe the words of Jesus when he said, hey, you cling to that temple, you're going to fall with it. You're going to that this is ending. Like John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, the ax is at the root of the tree. What's been up is coming down. So now we understand the urgency of this all and why they had to first go to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Why they had to go throughout all of Judea. Why Jesus said some of you won't be going won't won't even be done going through the the kingdoms until you see the Son of Man coming in his glory. These time statements are very, very important. These individual statements are very, very important. The context of all of this is very, very important. So when to, to sum this up. When Jesus said the gospel would need to be preached to all the world, the whole reason is because there was something coming. The complete transition of the covenants was happening. By this time, you might, you might be catching on to it. That's the urgency there because the temple was about to fall in 70 AD. And we're going to get into some really big time statements over the next few days for sure, which to me are the nail in the coffin, so to speak, with, with all of this. But I hope this makes sense because I know this can get confusing. I know that there are conflicting viewpoints on this, but the problem with taking these scriptures and applying them to current events is that we have to stretch scripture to make it happen. And we have to ask ourselves why. And the problem that we have here is that we've got a church that's kind of frozen in place. You know, we're, we're kind of stuck. Well, should these things happen? Should they not happen? Is God waiting on us? Are we waiting on him? What's going on? When really God wants us to be at peace, knowing that we were in the fullness of the new covenant. God wants us to tackle 
every single bit of evil that looks to rise itself up against humanity. Why? Because the keys of the kingdom have been put in our hands. We have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I hope that makes you feel empowered today. I hope that gets you excited that you don't have to wait for a temple to be built, for another temple to fall, for some, you know, leader to come on a world stage, for there to be some sort of a, uh, of a, of a tribulation uh, that you must go through. Look, you're going to be, you're going to go through tribulation no matter what. Jesus himself said in this world, you'll have tribulation, but what be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. But the purpose of this and why this is so important is you got to know that you are walking in victory today. You have the victory today. And you are not meant for destruction in tribulation. You're meant to persevere through all of that and be victorious. You have the keys to the kingdom in your hand. There's nothing that you're facing that with the power of Jesus you can't defeat. There's no problem in the world that we can't approach. We are not helpless. Amen. Well, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio, Sound of Heaven Church, Deer Park, New York. You're listening to The 1% Christian. I just want to pray us out here. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you that you've put us in the world at this time. Father, help us to impact the world around us. Everybody that we have within our reach, Lord God, help us to be a light to them. Your light. Let us walk in the light as you are in the light. And let's change this world one day at a time. And we have a great hope. Just say, say that to, me, to God today. Say, I have a great hope in my heart. Say, I do not fear, for you are with me. In Jesus' name we pray. Love you guys. Again, the 1% Christian, 100 starts with one. Go out and do something amazing for Christ's sake today. Love you guys. We're going to continue with Matthew chapter 24 tomorrow.